Hi everybody, welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. This is episode four. With me as always is Ben Ueda from Homemade Modern. Hello. And Chris Salamone from Four Eyes Furniture. What's up everybody? Hey, well, what's everybody up to this week? You kick it off, Mike. Go for it. Me? Okay, wow. I wasn't prepared for this. No. (laughs) All right, well, this week I am kind of going away from the typical furniture projects and I'm doing something a little more construction oriented for, I think, the first time now. I'm building a greenhouse, uh, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Um, So it's going to be a pretty simple, really. Nothing too complicated, but it's just going to be a six-foot by eight-foot greenhouse, kind of a beginner to intermediate-sized greenhouse, I would imagine. Not too big, but something to kind of grow into. It's a gift for my mom. I told her I told her uh, for Christmas I'd build her a greenhouse, and it is now March, so I figured I'd better go ahead and get it done. Um, Christmas next year. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I was, just, I was halfway just waiting for the weather to get halfway decent around here, and now that it's warming up, yeah, I'm starting. And it's coming along pretty good. I got the walls put up today and the roof on the walls so all i got left to do now is build out all the shelves and put on the siding and it should be just about done now are there many greenhouses in your area or any you could like anybody you could talk to or anything uh no not really (laughs) i wish um but no i just kind of actually most of what i'm taking is i just found a lot of articles and resources about how to build just like simple garden sheds and instead of putting on you know normal siding i'm just putting on the uh I don't know if you've seen it in Home Depot or Lowe's, wherever. Uh, they've got the clear corrugated siding. Uh, oh, yeah. Same thing you would see with, like, corrugated Is it polycarbonate or? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They have PVC as well, but the PVC had a little bit of, like, a blue tint to it that I didn't like. Yep. So the, the carb- Also, PVC yeah. is just a much nastier material is it? to work with. I've, yeah. never, I've never done anything with it. But, yeah, the, the polycarbonate has been pretty easy to work with. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Ben? Um... <laughs> I'm working on a bunch of things right now. So I have a bunch of halfway finished projects like littering my loft right now. But the (laughs) the thing that I worked on today that was really interesting is I was working on vacuum forming leather. Um, So I've been really trying to see how I can emboss leather to objects. So I've actually been experimenting with these storage bags that I bought off of Amazon. They're used for like putting in like bulky sweaters and things like that, and then you just suck the air out of it, and it compresses it, and you can store it away uh, seasonally. Yeah, and they just work with a normal vacuum, right? Right. And, or yeah. In this case, it came with a little hand pump, and they're like 30 oh. bucks. So one, I was interested in seeing if I could use it as like a veneer press, because it would be a cheap alternative. Yeah, no doubt. Then I yeah. tried uh, actually wetting some leather and putting it over uh, some different like plastic parts. And so far, it seems to really be taking the shape of the plastic parts. But the challenge is the bags are like airtight then, so it's not exactly drying out <laughs> uh, to hold the shape. So I'll do some different experiments with sort of heating them up. And uh, if anybody that's listening has any ideas of how to, to do this, uh, hit me up on Instagram or Twitter or something. So then... To hold its shape, how does it do? Do you have to put something in there, to like some kind of chemical or something, or just the pressure and time will make it hold its shape? So I've been watching how people make gun holsters, mm-hmm. um, and it's a little bit different because the gun holster is like a leather envelope, uh-huh. and they make it really tight. They shove the gun into it. They wet the holster a little bit. They put a plastic bag around the gun, and then they just push it in really tight, and then they take like a blunt awl or like some sort of piece of horn, and then they just press the leather to the details of the gun and then when it dries and they remove the gun the leather sort of stays in that shape 
perfectly molded to the details of the gun. Um, I'm trying to do just a flat leather panel with just one center embossing on it. So that's why I'm using the bags. I have like a board kind of set up and I think I'm about two or three iterations before sort of figuring out a good system that I'm ready to put on the video. Yeah, that's really cool. Nice. So I'm, I got a couple things going on too, like Ben. Um, so I'm pretty much finished up with the one-legged cabinet thing that I was talking about last week. Um, just a few little finishing touches to put on it. So hopefully in the next couple of days, I'll wrap that up. How'd it come out? Um, so far, it's pretty cool. I mean, I haven't attached it to the wall and actually the main thing that i have left to do is just the finished assembly like all the pieces are done it's now just putting them all together and installing it and making sure that it works I, yeah. i'm pretty confident it's going to work but um i think it's cool looking it's kind of funny like the design that i had last week i was showing my wife and she's like it looks like a trash can <laughs> like one of those trash cans you'd see at like a uh I don't know, a public place where they have like the swinging door on it or whatever. So I changed the proportions a little bit and made it a little narrower in terms of height and a little bit wider. Um, and I, I think I avoided the trash can look now, finally. <laughs> um, so, yeah, finishing that up. Then I was planning to start the the uh, record console probably this coming weekend. Um, things kind of fell apart with the client. I haven't really talked to him in a couple of days. Oh. <laughs> it's like breaking up kind of. <laughs> oh, man, that sucks. I was kind of excited about that one. It sounded really cool. I know. But I'm still going to build it, and the good news is I think I'm going to build something cooler because now I don't have to worry about you know, fitting their needs. I can just make whatever, and then I'll figure out what to do with it after the fact. So uh, the record player just shipped today, so I should get it in the next couple of days, and then I can so – I'll probably start work. I was planning to start working on it this weekend and then just getting to the parts that incorporate the record player once it gets here. Yeah. But then I had a meeting today with um, the – the tech channel that I worked with on the Xbox mm-hmm. stand. What was that channel again? Um, I forget. So that one's called Kevin Kenson Gaming, but then he's kind of like under the umbrella of this one called um, TLD, or it's if you search Jonathan Morrison, it's a pretty big tech channel. Okay. Um, and so they have this idea to do this desk that's based off of a, a divide symbol, you know, the line with the two dots. Yeah. So that was literally like, you know, four hours ago that I met with them. So I'm going to see if I can slot that in before the record player, hopefully. Um, it's just a matter of coming up with a design and, and getting it nailed down, and then I can start producing it. So if I can get that done in the next couple of days, then I can start that this weekend. So it's just kind of seeing, seeing what happens first, and then that'll dictate what I do this weekend. Right on. That's interesting. So, like, for the divide, like, is it going to be like a divide symbol where, like, the the two like the circle on the bottom is like part of the leg assembly or is it going to be like smaller than that there's a couple ideas i think i think the easiest way to do it would probably be just like you know make a cool piece of furniture and then use that symbol somewhere in it but that probably won't work as good for a video right yeah it's kind (coughs) of trying to get that like big wow factor out of it exactly yeah so um this one might end up a little bit like the xbox one where it's not the most functional thing it's more of like a you know, you can tell that you clearly had a theme that you wanted to stick to, and you're going, you know, you're making a lot of... Uh, a little bit of form over function. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Take it back to last week. Yep. So, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what the design's going to be yet. It's just, it's it's all very new right now. Yeah. That's neat. Well, I guess that kind of brings us into our show topic for this week, which we're kind of taking a dive back and going basically into our origin story. How we grew up, what 
how making was involved with that and then kind of how we got started. So okay. who wants to kick it off? I think we should go youngest first because they have oh, you know, less to talk about, obviously. Okay, right. that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I was born in 1995, which makes me 21 years old. So here we go. Um, I was born and raised in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and I guess I would just kind of consider myself having a normal childhood. I never really had any dreams or aspirations of being a woodworker or a maker, but I was kind of surrounded by it to some degree whenever I was young, now that I think about it. My grandpa was kind of a carpenter, home builder, that sort of thing, and actually, whenever I was about nine or ten years old, my parents built the house that I grew up in. Um, I was never really a big process of it or anything, being as young as I was, but I think now that I look back on it, that had to have been a pretty big influence on me, kind of seeing what you can do, how, you know, a house is a big project, but to see what you can do if you really set your mind to it and what you can do by yourself. So that was probably a big part of it. But yeah, I was really big into Legos, drawing, you know, kind of creative stuff, building forts. I grew up on five acres, which was probably a big part of it too, kind of being able to run around the woods, build makeshift forts with (laughs) fallen trees and things like that. Another big thing, now that I'm kind of looking back, is I kind of grew up in the prime of Discovery Channel. It was when I think they had their best programming they've really ever had. It was when Mythbusters was in its prime. They had other killer shows like Junkyard Wars, BattleBots, which they've rebooted, but it's kind of cheesy now. It was probably cheesy back then, too, to be honest, but I was a kid and I loved it. But yeah, that was really influential on me, and I was just obsessed with all that kind of stuff. The, the weird making and contraptions that were coming out of Discovery Channel at the time. It was really, really, really cool. So I guess the first kind of experience that I really had making was in middle school, I had two years, seventh grade and eighth grade of woodshop, which was a whole lot of fun. Now, I didn't at the time know that I would be into making like I am now or into woodworking like I am. So I kind of wish I did appreciate it more and really invest myself in it more than I did. But I really learned a lot in there and I really enjoyed it. I got to build some really cool projects. I built a really huge gun cabinet, a chessboard, uh, a few bowls. They had a really, really cool lathe there now that I think about it. They had, I think, four of them. I don't know what brand they were. They were probably Powermatic. But I don't know, looking back on them, I kind of think they were green. Maybe they were grizzly. I don't know. Um, But yeah, they had some really big lathes, which I really enjoyed. I didn't actually get a chance to use the lathe, I don't think, until my second year of woodshop. I think that was kind of a rule. But I got to turn a few bowls, a a few pins, and that was a lot of fun. I wish I got more time on that. But segueing into high school... Um, I really didn't carry that whole woodworking spirit into it. I was way more invested in football and sports, social stuff. So I didn't really do any kind of making or anything like that. I did fall into music, though, which is what eventually led me back to woodworking. Whenever I was about 13, I started to pick up drums. I bought my own drum kit that I earned from mowing lawns during the summer which sort of transitioned into me wanting to record music. And to record music, or at least to record a lot of music, I needed to sort of learn how to play music. Because you can't really, as a 15, 16-year-old, really rely on your friends or other people to record music all the time, especially if you want to do it, you know, every day. So I picked up guitar, bass, keys, not very well, but a little bit, enough to practice recording, really. And coming out of high school, that's really what I wanted to do was produce music. So I went to a local college called ACM, the Academy of Contemporary Music, which is a satellite school from the UK that partnered with the local kind of university, the University of Central Oklahoma. Which was a lot of fun. Got a chance to kind of play with a couple bands. 
really experience music at least on a on a relatively small degree uh, and i think it's kind of funny that production was what i was really interested in i think that kind of parallels well into making is instead of just playing music i was way more interested in recording it and engineering it and mixing it which is kind of the same thing of being interested in furniture and wanting to know how it's made um kind of that whole analytical yeah kind of like seeing the pieces so, come together yeah exactly. the digital construction part so yeah i i, I right. went to school for a couple years there and while i was in school was when i really started building again i built i think my one of my first projects that i did was building a snare drum with my grandpa out of paduke which was uh, <laughs> a way bigger project than either of us really should have gotten into at the time especially with the tools we had and stuff like that but it was a lot of fun it was really cool and it came out great which led me into uh, basically refinishing my drum kit taking all the uh, taking off the wraps staining it and refinishing it and everything and from there I kind of started building some pedal boards and other music related things and while I was in school other people saw what I was building and kind of wanted uh, wanted me to build them things, whether it was you know a pedal board, speaker cabinet. Uh, I built a lot of pedal boards uh, while I was in school. It was kind of a cool way to make a couple extra bucks and you know get to practice woodworking. And that slowly transitioned into building furniture. You know, friends would move into a new apartment and say, "Hey, we we just got a new place, but we need a coffee table. Do you think you can build one?" Um, and I remember the first one that I built for someone, I was like, "Yeah, I think I can do it, but don't don't pay me until it's done. Uh, it may or may not come out. So, save your money until I get it finished." But it ended up coming out great, and that kind of just snowballed. I just kept building more and more furniture for people and for myself, and I really got obsessed with it. And the main place I really learned most of what I was doing was from the internet. I think the first couple channels I came across were uh, Steve Ramsey, Jay Bates, uh, you, Ben. Uh, I took a lot of information from you as whenever I was younger as well. So yeah, I just kind of kept building things. And I did that for a while. Uh, while I was still in school, that was kind of one of the ways I kind of made a little bit of side money. And it was a lot of fun. And after I graduated school, maybe while I was still in school, if I did, it had to have been towards the end of school. I decided to start making a couple of videos. It was just, it was just kind of on a whim almost. I knew I wanted to do YouTube, but I didn't know in what capacity I wanted to do YouTube. I'd actually been making YouTube videos since I was like 12 years old. I was really big in the, into the like heavy kind of metal scene whenever I was a kid, and this was. Oh man, maybe 2000. I get, well, I'm 21. I was 12. So let's just say 10 years ago. So like 2006, 2008, in there sometime when YouTube was still kind of new and especially local bands really didn't know how to use YouTube for exposure. So what I would do without really getting their permission <laughs> at the time, but who, you know, as a 12 year old, you do dumb stuff. But I would just find bands that I liked. And if they weren't on YouTube, I would just put their music on YouTube. And I kind of actually grew a relatively big channel based on like local heavy metal music. And it was kind of cool <laughs> as a kid, at least. And so that kind of transitioned and I kind of realized that what I was doing wasn't incredibly legal. So I took that down and I kind of had a channel where I was putting out music and stuff like that. But that was never really serious. But coming out of school, I knew I didn't I I knew I didn't want to do music production for the next 40 years of my life. Um, dealing with musicians to the capacity that I had while I was in school, I kind of came to the realization that a lot of them are pretty kind of fickle people. They're not as reliable as I would hope. And plus, it's just kind of dealing with other people's ego I didn't love. So I kind of knew I 
I enjoyed music production, but I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I, I was really interested in YouTube at the time, and one of the things that I decided to try was some woodworking or some DIY content, because this is what I was doing as my hobby. So I think the first video I put out was a concrete bowl planner. It was kind of really inspired by your videos, Ben. I kind of, it's one of those things, like before you have your own style, you kind of emulate other people, or at least what they're doing, until you figure out your own rhythm or your own editing style and pace. So yeah, I built a a really, really simple concrete planner, which is still a, one of my better performing videos. It's probably in the top 10 or 12 videos I've got. But I, all I did was I took two plastic mixing bowls for dollar from Dollar Tree and I used one as the outside form, poured in the concrete, and then I set in a smaller bowl and put some weights in it, and that made my inner cavity of the bowl, or the planter. And then I just put a couple succulents in there, uh, which, you know, it came out cool, and it it's still a neat project. The video's not amazing. But yeah, that was my first, uh, that was my first video ever. What about, right. <laughs> what about you guys? All right, I uh, guess if, if we keep going uh, youngest to oldest, that would put me next, although... <laughs> Me and Ben are both uh, pretty close, but quite a bit older than you, Mike. I know. Uh, I had no idea, though. I'm we're moisturized, young so... You yeah, know. exactly. I, I, I look down. <laughs> you got Stay out of the sun. That's the secret. Don't build too many greenhouses. Right. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so for me... I, I've actually told this story a couple times in different places, but we'll make this like the official telling of the story. So right. now if anybody asks, I can just say, go listen to episode four. Yeah, spare no details. Boom, there it'll be. Yeah. So... <laughs> For me, I grew up Southern California. I've lived here my whole life. Um, and I didn't really have any family members or, that were into building things or woodworking or anything like that. I didn't know anybody that was into that stuff. Um, and I was not interested in it at all either. So actually, simil similarly to you, Mike, my first introduction to woodworking came in junior high as well um in an elective class now it sounds like you actually got to take like multiple years of it in i had in two, junior high i had two years yeah okay yeah so for us it was like a third of a year it was just one trimester oh, that yeah. i had a woodworking class and i just looked at it as like you know i had typing the the trimester before and this trimester right. i have woodworking so uh it didn't really spark an interest in fact i was probably on the low end in the class in terms of skill. I was pretty bad at it, and it was probably just because I wasn't interested in it. Right. I remember our first project was to make a little toolbox thing, and mine was coming out really bad, and so everybody had all their stuff stored in the back, and I actually went in the back and broke mine one day on purpose so that I could blame it on vandalism. <laughs> but the, uh, the the teacher bought it, and he, I think he gave me a B-plus or something. Yeah. You just, um, then, just act like you were really bummed about it, like, man, yeah. I was doing so good. Oh. My career. Yeah. <laughs> it's all thrown off track now. Yeah, so that was uh, my introduction to it. You know, got through the three months or whatever I had it for and never thought, it up, never thought about it again for 15 years or so, I guess, until um, my wife and I were buying our first house and I started getting interested in 3D modeling, which I think I talked about this a couple episodes ago. A little bit, um, yeah. Yeah, so basically got interested in 3D modeling, uh, mostly just for interior design purposes, and that just kind of naturally led to designing furniture and then wanting to learn about furniture, so um, started looking on YouTube. So the, the first people that I found on YouTube, actually, 
there was really only the one that I found was the Wood Whisperer. Um, and I remember I like wrote in a couple questions to him and he was nice enough to write back. So that's something I always think about now whenever somebody writes into me. Like if they if they write something substantial, I always try to reply just because yeah. they took the time. And even if I'm busy, I like to try to take the time just to, you know, be on the other side of that relationship now. Definitely. So it was pretty much <clears throat> through youtube some woodworking forms that i found where i would just go read everything and ask questions and fumble my way through things um and then i found a community college course and so i took a year's worth of night classes at a community college um basically just to see if i could do it built a couple pieces and got the confidence to see that i could build the stuff and um you know was able to figure out what types of things i would want and what i would need and so Basically, based off of that experience, I decided to just start buying equipment and converting my garage into a workshop. So I set that up over the course of a couple months and probably spent, I'd say, like eight months, ten months just coming up with new designs, building things, trying to put like a small catalog of pieces together, or I guess a small line of pieces together. And once I had probably, I don't know, maybe seven eight pieces i decided to make a website and try to start selling it so um (laughs) set that up um you know it was slow at first but i was able to get a couple features in in a few design blogs and that kind of led people to me um you know and it just kind of started picking up naturally from there so i did that for about four years and i had always wanted to come to youtube but i was always too busy to do it building furniture and then i kind of decided that i had hit a a ceiling and what i could do with the with the business and i looked at making content as something that instead of growing linearly could grow exponentially yeah um so i decided to do it almost a year ago um and i did have some i i had some background with video um like you know i knew how to edit and how to film things and stuff so right it's funny because I do kind of view, to, to go back a little bit, you were talking about how music was in your past and how that kind of led to woodworking and to making things. Yeah. I kind of viewed when I came to YouTube as like the culmination of a lot of hobbies that I had in the past where, you know, obviously I, I did some music for it, especially in the first video. And now I've been lucky to have my friend do most of the music. So mm-hmm. that's kind of taken that pressure off me. But the video and just like all these different things kind of came together. And those all those skills translate into, I think, making my channel better than it would have been if I had not had those other hobbies yeah. growing up. Um, but yeah, so when I when I made my first video... I didn't really know what I wanted it to be, but I think I kind of lucked out in that, like, if you watch my first video, it's actually pretty similar to my last video. It's maybe a little bit slower in the pacing, but, like, it's Is it the you know, 90% of the way there. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah. yeah, I remember I remember <laughs> seeing that, like, when like a few days after it came out, yeah. and I was like, oh, I don't know who this is, but, like, this is dope. And Yeah, yeah it was pretty remember- crazy that, like, it really blew up even off just that first video that's yeah. still my most viewed video and i think it was because um thumbnail probably because it was kind of that's what i was about to say it that? has a great thumbnail mm-hmm. yeah the thumbnail and i think it was just different when people saw it they were just like this is weird yeah and so I, i'm sure there's a lot of people that hated it but a lot of <laughs> no, people there's just really people that it. thought that it was not appropriate for large obese people it was like yeah. the comment i saw <laughs> yeah i got a lot of that um but anyway, yeah, and so I was lucky in that, like, I got that featured by a few different, like, um, 
uh, Wood Talk podcast and yeah, uh, you changed uh, the thumbnail of it. I did, yeah. Go back I, to the I other wanted one. To keep... That you other know one. what though? That's the whole reason I clicked it was because you can't you like you can't see the whole thing. It's like, more of a detail. Tell. Yeah, I remember yeah, it really and clearly. It, and it's like you can tell it's got that like whole angular thing going, and it just like I saw it, and that was why I clicked it. Was like I just got to see what the rest of this thing looks like. Yeah. You know what's funny is that I in a way I feel like okay, so here's one thing is that that video blew up pretty quick but it, i didn't get to capitalize on it because i didn't have any other content right, right. Like you would watch that one video and be like all right that's it mm-hmm. so it would i think like i would have benefited in growth a lot more if that would have been my sixth video or something or if you just but, ha- or if like what you did like what we're doing with the podcast is putting out a couple episodes like really quick right. so that when people do find it they have some extra content to go to yeah, but uh, you know obviously when you're just going in you yeah. have no idea what you're doing and you just put stuff up yeah. and hindsight but, is 2020 Exactly, yeah. If I could go back in time in my DeLorean, I would definitely tell myself to do that. Right. But, um, I would probably do something other than that, but <laughs> <laughs> there's probably bigger things. But <laughs> yeah, maybe I'd do some investing or bet on the Cubs or something. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's uh, in a way I kind of want – not that I'm, like, ashamed of that video or anything. I'm, I'm still stand behind that video. But um, I would like for it not to be my – first foot in the door with people and so i'm hoping that some of the other videos like the bad larry one and the xbox one i'm hoping that those ones are kind of like overtaking it as my introduction to people right um just because yeah i feel like the pacing's a little slow and i I feel like there's a lot of things that could turn people off in that video compared to my more recent ones that are just like a slightly more refined version of that one i think so but it's another thing where like if people like that then they're definitely gonna like all your other content you know what i mean it kind of gives you the it kind of sets the precedent like I was talking about a little while ago, is that if you set the precedent that, like, we're not running for a fast-paced video, you know what I mean? It's more of, like, I'm talking to you, basically, and kind of telling Mm -hmm. you about the project. If you kind of, if they see that video first and, you know, have that expectation for the future, you know, maybe it sets them up, you know, to be more engaged. I'm going to hope, I'll, I'll make a prediction that I hope comes true that in one year from now, that will not be my most viewed video anymore. Okay. Who knows? We'll see. Nice. Well, I think it's interesting that both of you guys sort of uh, spoke about your sort of digital, uh, or Mike, when you were doing music production, was that primarily digital, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really interesting that it's almost like your your digital backgrounds gave you confidence to sort of go farther with sort of physical and analog stuff. Which, right. Which I think is, a good point. is totally true. I think making is making. I think whether you're assembling or that, that the, the things that stop us from doing it is like not understanding how a system sort of goes together. But if you make a table, I think it helps you make a video. If you make a video, I think it can help you make a table. Uh, yeah. Just the more you get used to sort of project managing yourself and going through a full creation process, uh, I think it sort of preps you for 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 anything really. Um, so is it my turn? Jeez. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, one. you're up. <laughs> so uh, I grew up sort of. I think the things that sort of made me first interested in making were, were books, books like Swiss Family Robinson, uh, Huckleberry Finn, like the whole idea of Huckleberry Finn where they built a raft. They literally built the means of conveyance that took them on this like really grand adventure. I always just thought that was so awesome. Uh, I loved that book, My Side of the Mountain. I still highly recommend it. It's where this like kid just like runs off into the mountains and just like with like a knife a few basic supplies and it just like documents his survival how he like eats you know what he eats how he builds his house and things like that so i was always really struck by 
uh, sort of books that has sort of a survivalist sort of bent where ingenuity just like not just sort of helped you survive but actually gave you these like really amazing little luxuries that you you super appreciated because you were in these like really severe circumstances um, and I always sort of resented civilization for a certain part because it's like, oh, man, life is just too easy. Like, it seems so <laughs> arbitrary. Like, I can go buy a knife. I don't have to, like, make one out of stone. Or, you right. know, I, I have uh, indoor plumbing and in a house to, that's comfortable. I don't have to, you know, cut down a tree and build a log cabin. <laughs> like, I think if, at that age, if I would have started doing what I'm doing now, it would have been very much like uh, was it, a primitive technology guy, which is just amazing. Oh, yeah. check, out, check out that YouTube channel if you haven't already. He basically is just like recreating like the birth of technology and man in like speeded up YouTube videos. So that, that was the initial sort of interest in uh, where I think my sort of imagination got connected to the ideas of making as like an extension of not just creativity, but just like an expression of what's needed. Um, but at the time I couldn't really find a way to sort of justify it as like essential. Um, so when I went to uh, college, uh, I decided to study architecture because that felt like sort of an obvious extension of that. Maybe, yeah. you know, I'm not building a treehouse to, you know, uh, protect us from pirates or things like that, like Swiss Alan Robinson. But, you know, this seemed like a way to sort of marry sort of creativity, but with what's sort of needed at this sort of present state of, of, of it, time. Is that something that you knew you were going to go into for a while? No, I didn't, I didn't go to college until I was 21. Uh, yeah. So neither one of my parents went to college. Um, I did okay in high school, uh, but I just didn't take hard classes. I just sort of cruised through it and played sports. Um, I did like competitive martial arts for a while, um, did really well, but didn't make much money, worked a bunch of construction jobs. And then, so I said, okay, I need to, I need to go to college. So I went to community college for about a year, uh, took the SATs at like 21 and then, uh, went to Cornell for architecture. Um, and architecture, you know, education was totally not what I expected. It was much more esoteric and theoretical, a lot of philosophy and uh, sort of uh, both from an art standpoint and also just from like a, what is the purpose of like, you know, building. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really great for me because I think I was old enough to really appreciate those kind of topics at that time. Uh, loved it, uh, but very quickly started to see that, huh, what are people doing after they graduate? Since I was a little bit older than my classmates, I was looking at that graduation date and saying, what am I doing next? Right. And when I would talk to uh, people that had already graduated from that program, uh, they were a lot of them were working for other people and weren't necessarily really enjoying what they were doing. They were doing a lot of detail work for other people's creative ideas. So, uh, and then I would talk to sort of uh, other students and be like, what's your plan? And if they were like a, like a, from a wealthy family, they'd be like, oh, I'll just take some time off and just enter design competitions until I win one and can start my own firm. <laughs> and I'm like, well, screw that. <laughs> I can't do that. I got to work. Uh, and so that immediately, I think I always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder sort of growing up from modest means and then going to a school like that where you're surrounded by, oh, people not like that. Right. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, okay, I need to start my firm like the day I graduated. And so I put together uh, some classmates and we came up with a plan. And our plan was basically saying, well, we're young, we have no experience, who's, who's gonna hire us? Like, it'd be crazy to hire us with like no portfolio, no experience. What, what's our advantage? And I was like, well, it's, it's the internet. 
you know, I wasn't a particularly web savvy person, but I knew I knew the internet better than some old architecture firm. Uh, so that's how we sort of immediately got our first commissions. We focused on really basic search engine optimization. Uh, this was in like 2005, 2006. Uh, when I graduated, literally started the firm. I stayed on and taught uh, sustainable design and architecture at Cornell. And actually, I should say, sustainability and uh, ecologically conscious design was like one of my main interests in architecture. It felt like, okay, here's a purpose. Here's like a noble reason to make buildings right. demonstratively better. Um, and so I started the architecture firm with a, with a couple uh, classmates. Uh, got our first commissions. We're taking really weird jobs, like all over the place. Um, I think my first commission was in the Caribbean, in this little island called Dominica, and we designed and built this uh, little ecologically friendly hotel in the middle of the rainforest. I even had to go down and like cut down a banana grove with a machete, which is, by the way, like the most like satisfying thing to do. <laughs> a banana, a banana tree. I think it's like after they drop like the big bunch of the bananas, mm -hmm. the tree is like pretty much useless. Oh. But it's like a big, it's like a tree, so it's like it's taller than you, and it's like bigger around than your leg. But it's like a giant stalk of celery. Oh wow! So if you have like a machete or preferably a samurai sword, <laughs> you can just like with one swipe yeah. just like fell this entire, and you just feel like a superhero because like you're just like running around. Exactly. So <laughs> that was like the first project we got paid like. It took like hundreds and hundreds of hours, and we got paid like five thousand dollars for it. Yeah. Um, so we we totally lost money on it, um, but it got us sort of working, and eventually led to some bigger commissions. Uh, and eventually, we got this really great uh, commission that sort of set us up financially, where we designed this this like three to four million dollar completely zero energy solar powered geothermal house on Cape Cod that ended up winning all sorts of design awards and, and putting us on the map. But that point where I sort of was realized, huh, we're designing sustainably, but we're doing at the really high end of the market. And it didn't feel like that noble. Mm -hmm. And that's where I immediately, even as we were sort of succeeding financially and on the cover of magazines is where I sort of said, okay, this is not this is the subject matter of what I want to do, but the purpose and business model isn't what I want. I don't want to do client-facing design yeah. where you just go to the wealthiest person. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember like a previous experience. One of, one of the other random jobs that I took was a consulting gig for this really wealthy Nigerian businessman. <laughs> he did. That sounds luckily, so he did shady. Yeah, I know, like right? Scam, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah, for real. <laughs> luckily, he was, a, he was also he was a Cornell alumni, so I didn't okay. meet him on like, Craigslist. Or yeah, anything exactly. Like that. No, he sent me this email, and he like, offered me all his gold. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, so um, I actually went over to Nigeria, and we were working on some design proposals for these like corporate office parks like outside of Lagos, Nigeria, which is just this crazy city it's like one of the i think it's like the fourth or fifth biggest city in the world where it was at the time and has this very little infrastructure incredible discrepancies between poverty and you know uh, uh wealthy people yeah. and uh i was supposed to design these like houses for like upper middle class uh people and so I was like, you know, I want to be very culturally sensitive. I don't want to come in and like, oh, hey, I'm Mr. American Architect. I know a lot of shit about solar panels, so I'm going to design you guys awesome houses. Mm -hmm. um, so I put together this, like, focus group, and I sort of asked them. I was like, okay, you know, let's just start real simple. What, what do you think your houses should look like? 
And this lady sort of raises her hand. And she's like, oh, I think they should look like the houses on Wisteria Lane. I'm like, what? And she met Wisteria Lane, which is the fictitious street from the TV show Desperate Housewives. <laughs> so, and that was the first time where I realized that, like, media is influencing design way more than designers. Huh. Right? Hi, that's so, it wasn't like she said, oh, I really like the work of Frank Lloyd Wright. Right. No. Screw that. Like, she was like, I like this TV show because they look like they have a good lifestyle, and I like the I like the interaction, and I like the backdrop for these aspirational lifestyles that I'm seeing on television. Right, that's funny. so. That's where I was saying, huh? Here I am as like a designer trying to be all sensitive, and you know, but really feeling guilty about designing these really wealthy houses. When meanwhile. Even if I was designing affordable houses, the, the legacy and impact would not really transcend that. Um, and that's when I began saying, okay, I want to get interested in spreading design not through one client at a time, but through media. And so then I created a company called uh, freegreen.com. So we went out and raised a whole bunch of money because this was like, you know, uh, I think like this sort of second wave of sort of dot coms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and this was like 2000. 2007, we won. A, we won. A, 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 I teamed up with a, with an MBA, and we wrote a business plan. We won a bunch of business plan competitions, and we got a bunch of grants. And then from there, we got like uh, I think just like right around a million dollars of investment from uh, angel investors. Wow. And so we were like, we are so smart. Like just our, <laughs> we did a yeah. PowerPoint, and people gave us like a ton of money because our ideas are so good. And the idea was to actually spread architecture as a type of media by taking about 30% of the houses in the U.S. come from stock blueprints. So just, you know, 9 to 10-page PDFs where people can download them, or and they buy them normally from, you know, websites where they sell them for, like, anywhere from, like, 500 to $1,000. And we're like, well, we're going to give those away for free, and then we're going to charge uh, advertising to product companies to actually be inside the designs, not just be in a banner ad but actually spec their products by name into the architectural blueprints. Yeah. Um, so we started that, produced a bunch of designs, uh, got a lot of traffic because we were offering something for free that was typically people had to pay for, and then 2008 happened, <laughs> and no advertisers had any money to spend. Like, literally, when we started the company and, like, our proposals were saying, okay, every year they're building over a million single-family homes in the U.S., after 2008, it was like 200000 Wow. Yeah. They're tearing them and, down. Yeah. yeah. And like nobody was spending money on advertising for construction materials. So luckily, we had raised enough money that we sort of survived, but the, uh, we lost a lot of momentum, uh, needless to say. So eventually, I built the company uh, sort of back up. Um, it wasn't going to hit the projections that we hit. We weren't all going to be you know instant sort of billionaires uh, from it. Um, so it was a very sobering kind of thing. It was sort of, you know went from everyone telling you that you're brilliant to people being like, oh, whatever happened to that company? I haven't heard much from you. And it's because, you know, we're working our ass off, like, trying to, like, save it and pull it all back together. But built it back up to where it was, had advertisers and uh, was, you know, still doing really well with consumers. And then uh, it got acquired. You know, we sold it as part of a a roll-up to uh, a big media company that was was compiling that. Um, And so that's really where I was... You know, I, I sort of learned from that that one, uh, I want to be more careful with expectations and investment, and not let my ego sort of get in front of me. But two, I really did learn and really believed in that idea that 
there's a really interesting opportunity to spread design as a type of media and then monetize it as a type of marketing. So even though that business wasn't what I thought it would be, that concept was incredibly powerful. Um, and when I was saying, okay, what, what do I want to do next? I took some time off. I went and taught at a university in Asia for a bit. I taught architecture over there, sort of you know, rest and rejuvenated. And I came back and I said, okay, I want to be more hands-on with making. Uh, I want to I try to make the impact of my work through media content. And with the internet, that's a good time to do it. Um, so, yeah, I thought a lot about it. I thought about doing plans since I had, I had a lot of experience with CAD and 3D modeling. Mm-hmm. And that was the obvious thing. But I thought, nope. Everyone I talked to in sort of digital media said video is the wave of the future. Uh, get involved with that. So I made my first video. Uh, it didn't involve any wood or concrete, surprisingly when was this? enough. It was uh, like 2013, yeah. 2014. Okay. Um, and I didn't even put it on YouTube. I put it on Vimeo. Oh, no. Because I actually, yeah, I was talking to my friend who's a video, you know, who, who's like a video producer. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, well, we all use, in the industry, we all use Vimeo because they like, but they're not really trying to drive community yeah. or, or views. They're just using it for sharing and demo reels and then doing that. Yeah, yeah now you so, want nobody to see this, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so I put it on Vimeo, um, and it got it got a lot of views, but I got no subscribers. I think it got like forty to 50,000 views like pretty quickly. Where, were the, uh, where just, was the traffic coming from? Uh, just me sharing it around on social media. I didn't have a big following, yeah. but it was I cut wine bottles in half and then like wrapped... Uh, uh, like copper wire around them, and a few blogs picked it up and uh, shared it, and so that encouraged me enough. Uh, I used the, my Ryobi drill because that was the drill that I had. Uh, I showed it to Ryobi; they sort of uh, gave me some encouraging words, and that was that was really it. I didn't really even start YouTube. I think till like maybe like six months to a year later. Wow! And then I was just like, I have all these videos on Vimeo that were were doing really well. And we're getting picked up uh, on like you know all these other blogs and design things, and then my one of my friends is like, "Dude, you gotta put them on YouTube." <laughs> so I just uploaded like eight to ten videos all at one time and started the YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, but really, before then, I was thinking, I was thinking much more sort of multimedia. I was thinking sort of website uh, plans, search engine optimization, and really trying to get people to the website and the videos was just something that was on the website. I never really thought of the videos as this big traffic, you know, builder through the YouTube community. Right. Right. Uh, I thought them as more being content that would get embedded in, you know, bigger websites like Buzzfeed, Mm -hmm. dwell, apartment therapy, stuff like that. Other people's blogs. So this is like a question so, for both of you guys. But like, when did when did it like take off? I guess you know what I mean. Like, when did you like realize like, oh, this is a you know making videos is what I want to do. For for me, I, I actually think, and this is like a philosophy I try to take is like, I try to get excited by a lot of little things. Uh-huh. Like you know, growing growing up poor, there's a lot of times where we had like you know peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for dinner. So it's like every time like I eat steak or something like that now, like. I try to treat it like a celebration, not as this like normalized thing that's like easy to come across now. Right. Um, so when I think of like when it took off, I can think of like twenty times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I think of like the first time someone sent me free tools. I think of the first time I got an actual check for money. Yeah, that's true. Those at the time all felt like it's taking off, mm-hmm. and uh, I am probably the one person that didn't look at other YouTube videos 
until after I was on YouTube because I only looked at like woodworking videos on Vimeo. Like I never, I don't even had like a YouTube channel for, you know, uh, so, uh, I wasn't even that aware of that sort of YouTube community mm-hmm. until I had like 10 videos up. And then I think like Bob like sort of commented, I wasn't even, I didn't even have comments on for a long time either. And then, and then when I did turn them on, I never read them or answered them uh-huh. or anything. And then like Bob from I like to make stuff was like commenting. I'm like, Oh, this guy actually seems nice. I'm gonna actually pay attention. And then I realized there's a whole bunch of other people doing really cool stuff and uh that's when sort of my attention shifted to youtube as being like the primary uh sort of you know media platform for uh growth yeah yeah to uh answer that question first off i'd like to say how happy i am that uh we had ben go last because he's like way more impressive (laughs) at least more impressive than me (laughs) yeah i'd have to follow that up with oh i'd like to uh, make boxes and put them on the the computer We're all on the same platform now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah we, it, all, all roads led to here. Yeah. Um, for me, yeah, to go back to Mike's question, I think, yeah, it is kind of like a series of little wins that I don't know if it's just my personality, personality but then they end up becoming disappointments in a way. Or not disappointments, but just like less than what you're expecting them to be so yeah the first time it was like oh my god i got a thousand subscribers and then it's like you immediately you think you're gonna bask in that glory or something but then like it's what's the next thing right that's that's how my experience has been so like right now you know i'm newer than you guys so i'm like really looking at 100,000, and i have my sight set on that but i know as soon as i hit it it's gonna be like okay now what yeah that's which exactly i think that's, what it is. that's probably just human to do that but yeah i mean having people pay attention to you getting to talk to people that i mean for me like you know talking to you guys right now i was very familiar with both of you before i ever met you um actually maybe that's bob's thing maybe he reaches out to everybody but yeah after after a couple weeks he um sent me a nice message so yeah it was just like one of those surreal moments where you're like whoa dude i've watched this guy for a couple years on youtube and now he wrote me a message yeah um all those little things are just kind of like milestones that you mark (laughs) what about for you mike oh man um i don't know i guess a couple of like the big moments were obviously the whenever i was first starting was like a thousand subscribers was huge like chris said then it just seems like for me every single time i hit any subscriber milestone it was always like now what's the next subscriber milestone that i think is that i think is good so like it was like a thousand then ten thousand then fifty thousand then a hundred um, yeah. But yeah, so that was a big one. But then I think the big ones for me were like, uh, for I think 10,000 subscribers, I reached out to Rockler and I was like, yo, uh, I don't know if you know anything about my content, but like, this is what it is. Are you interested in being involved in, in a giveaway I want to do in any way? And when they got, they reached back out to me and they're like, yeah, that would be awesome. You know, here's this stuff to give away. And anytime you want to work together on, you know, some kind of content, let me know. And whenever I read that, that was one of the big ones where I was like, oh, man, this is legit now. You know what I mean? Other, like, people that are, you know, people with money are saying that it's good. So that was one of the big things for me, I think. Yeah, I think that in a way, like you were saying earlier, if you're just chasing those numbers, it just becomes like a never-ending cycle. Yeah. (laughs) So for me now, I guess it's more when... Like, I I see the future. I see the potential for this to become my full-time thing. Mm -hmm. It's not there yet because I have a lot of responsibilities and, you know, I still have to depend on my 9-to-5 job. But 
I feel like there will be a time that I can say, okay, I'm, I'm quitting work and, and focusing just on this full time. So I think that's like the overarching goal that I have on the horizon that I really focus on at this point. How do you view, this kind of brings up another point, then creating content or making your content based off of like what you think is going to get good reactions compared to what you want to do. I used to do that a lot. That's what I used to do, especially whenever, after I put out a few videos and it started getting a little bit of traction, uh, once I realized the the possibility of turning this into an actual business was a a thing, was I kind of quit, like, doing what I thought, or what I just initially wanted to do. Like, now, whenever, whatever I'm building is just what I'm wanting to build, but... About a year ago, I would say, I was about a half a year into it. Once I started getting some decent numbers, I was like, okay, cool. I'm starting to get numbers. Now, how do I keep this going? So that was really all I was focused on was trying to build an audience. And so I kind of... It's not that I didn't do what I wanted, but I really filtered myself where Mm. if it was something I wanted to do, I had to make sure that it was going to be a good video or I had to make sure that it kind of fit into what I was already doing. Um, And I kind of... That kind of sucked a little bit of the life out of it for me, I think. I kind of quit enjoying it for a little bit. Not quit enjoying... I guess I kind of quit enjoying the whole, like, grind of it. Because I was kind of turning it into a job. uh, Right. Which wasn't awesome. So, I I would say about, like, six, eight months ago, I kind of, like, quit caring about that. And I just started building what I wanted. And I'm back to loving it. And it's the best thing ever but yeah that was one of the things was i was just hung up on trying to make content that i thought people would like but i realized the only reason they're watching my content is that they like pretty much for the most part what i like so if i build what i like then hopefully they enjoy it as well yeah i think it makes for a better product usually i think so i i I treat this sort of interaction or the sort of audience sort of that as like a I think of it the same way I would have like a conversation with a good friend that often has different opinions. So I try to listen and I try to understand uh, where they're coming from, but I my beliefs and what I'm interested in may get changed. I may get inspired. I may get defensive, um, but I'll try to listen. But still, I'm going to do what I think is right. Right. right? Like yeah. I, you know, hopefully they, they change my opinion with like, uh, and they often do with sort of, you know, educating me on building techniques or good example. Mike taught me that awesome trick of sprinkling salt when you're gluing two planes of, uh, uh, wood together. So they don't, when you clamp them, they don't slide all away from each other. Um, so yeah, I always treat it sort of that way. It's like, it's sort of a conversation with the audience trying to listen, but not necessarily take everything that they say as like, okay, now I have to do that. Right. Um, Right. And that's where I think you get into the sort of chasing part. The the numbers part, I think, is interesting. Uh, I don't think of it as, like, they they matter, and they're a way of listening. Like, watching uh, your numbers and your analytics is a way of listening to your audience. It's a way of sort of understanding a certain type of thing. But it doesn't mean it's the answer for everything. It's just one more type of information that you can use. So I wouldn't say that I... It drives what I do, but I definitely listen to it mm-hmm. and, and watch and try to sort of pick up things like that. So one of the things that I learned from that it was there was more sort of search interest 
at least from a search standpoint, not necessarily like a sort of a viral or sharing standpoint, in larger scale projects, things like tables, sofas, and things like that. Yeah. And my think my thinking is because a lot of people out there are on a budget. If you show, you know, sofas are expensive. Like the cheapest sofa at IKEA is, was over two hundred, and most of them are, I think are About like five, over five. Yeah. Four, yeah, are over four or five hundred dollars. Uh, and when I was looking at like consumer expenditure reports and seeing what like the average family spends on furniture, IKEA is expensive for a lot of people. Um, so I think like showing that you can make really cool things, things that anybody would want but that anyone can afford, uh, and those bigger projects like the the uh, were the ones that sort of that that was a great example of sort of listening to the audience and seeing where huh. These sofa videos keep getting consistent views. They never went viral or or got a million views in like one week, but they just consistently plug away yeah. uh, because people are searching for this type of content. And that's exactly like it wasn't because of a comment of like someone saying do more sofas because that's just one person, but seeing how there was consistent, steady interest. It wasn't about me doing the the cleverest thing or showing like what uh, you know what a great designer I was. It was realizing that this was an interest this saves people money this gives them more consumer options and uh they will steadily sort of be interested in this content um so that's sort of how i try to sort of take those numbers and and uh uh, use them to sort of guide me but not completely shape everything i'm doing it's a good way to put it yeah all right, so I think that pretty much takes us into the next segment that we like to do, the uh, jingle-less, hypothetically speaking. So this question, or I guess topic, comes from Ben this week, but I'll, I'll go ahead and announce it to keep it uh, keep the tradition alive. So it's basically, you can tell me if I get it wrong, but <laughs> what one power tool would you choose to fight off a grizzly bear? It has, it, to be, it has to be a power tool that you currently have in your oh, shop. Oh, what? You didn't yeah. tell us that. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. Because otherwise I would say a backhoe. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, we used a giant, uh, uh, setting up the greenhouse today, we used a bobcat, one of the big like backhoe type things. So if that counts, I'm choosing that. <laughs> yeah, as you say, are those considered power tools? Like where, where, where does a what, where does the, power tool end and a vehicle And start? heavy machinery start. <laughs> yeah. Where's yeah. that line? All right. Ben, what do you say? Well, I think the obvious one that I would, when I'm looking at my my loft at the sort of uh, array of tools would be the the chainsaw. But yeah. I don't think it would be that effective. I think I really think the strategy. Have you ever seen that movie, The Edge? Yeah, mm-hmm. like like a B level survival movie, <laughs> and they kill the bear. Spoiler alert! It's like hundred. It's like older than Mike. So. It was my weekend. <laughs> uh, uh, they kill the bear by when it rears up to like. Uh, Anthony Hopkins sort of falls back and takes like a big sharp stick, sticks it the back end into the rock, and then let, when the bear goes comes and falls down on him, uh, it sort of spears itself. So your answer is uh, an off cut, right. an off cut piece of wood. <laughs> yeah, I would I'd use the chainsaw, cut. not so much to to do that, um, and then uh, do that because I feel like the, the bear would just swat the chainsaw out of your out of your hands and just eat the damage. Yeah, yeah, probably. So that's so your answer is the chainsaw? The chainsaw to make a sharp stick. Okay. <laughs> Use the chainsaw as a sharp stick. Okay. So <clears throat> for me, I will say that I will use any one of my polar bear series of grizzly tools because a polar bear is bigger than a grizzly bear, right? There it is. Ah. <laughs> I would uh I, I didn't know we were limited to things we had, but the first thing that I thought of okay, 
I guess the the overarching thing theme for me would be that I don't think there's any way that you're going to kill the bear. I think your only chance is to try to scare it off. Yeah, the loudest tool about that. would probably yeah. be best. Yeah. So my first idea was some and kind then of the like, bear whips out earplugs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> F word. There we go. Now we got uh, the ex- we got. I got to put explicit on this one now. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. There. <laughs> yeah. Ready? Punch it in. Three, two, one. Darn it. Okay. <laughs> No, so um, so my first idea, and I don't have one of these, would be some kind of like welding torch, Ooh, just to try to mm. scare it away with fire. Yeah, and then my next idea was like a jackhammer or something like that yeah. to just make the most noise that you could possibly make. But yeah, so so those would be my ideas. But if, I guess if I had to use something that I actually own to try to fight it off, I would probably go for my uh, my circular saw, and I would just slit my wrists. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I thought I thought the same thing too. I was like, "What is the loudest thing I had?" So I thought like I would just get my thickness planer and just turn it on and hope it <laughs> runs away and just pray it's scared. Um, but then I was like, "Okay, that's 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 obviously got flaws." So let's let's delve deeper into it. So then I thought, "Okay, what what tool do I have that can kind of get it from a distance? It doesn't have to be lethal, but once again, maybe I can just scare it from a distance." So I thought maybe get like a framing nailer and then just shoot mm-hmm. framing nails at it. <laughs> I, once they, they, I don't <laughs> think they shoot too straight, though. Right. It's just, well, I, it's just like, you know, shoot. Just spray it. Yeah, spray <laughs> and pray. But, yeah. uh, but then again, I thought, like, man, that could probably just once again make it really angry. So I feel like if, it's, if the bear's going to attack me, it's going to attack me. I don't think I can scare it, really, if it's just dead set on it. So I came up with this. I'm going to get my ankle grinder and, like, uh, I don't know if they make – they probably make them. But just get, like, a, a really small – blade that can fit on my angle grinder and then just like get real close combat with it and then i'll, I'll do it yeah, like the edge go. man i'll just tear its just belly rush up. it yeah right i'll just come <laughs> at it with it. i'll come at it with an angle grinder with a circular saw blade on it <laughs> yeah I, I, I would pay to see i that. think just, i think that's actually the best thing because i feel like the i don't know that much about chainsaws but i feel like the chainsaw would be more likely to get stuck in like yeah, fur I just, yeah, and jammed up where i feel like the angle grinder with the circular saw blade would be like you could hold it really tight and sort right. of protect yourself with it and just put that, yeah. constantly keep that in between. Yeah, and, you, and then just take off the guard so you kind of got like 360 kind of cutting act. You know what I mean? It could cut all yeah. the way around. Yeah. So, I, I can tell you guys that one time, it's not exactly the same thing, but I tried to cut t-shirts in my bandsaw. That doesn't work. Ooh. Did it get caught <laughs> in the blade? My, yeah, oh. it just immediately got... <laughs> But yeah, so that, that'd probably be similar with the bear hair and the uh, chainsaw. So I, th- I think we're 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 all sort of leaning that the the angle grinder with the circular saw blade is probably the way to go. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it'd be pretty cool, man. Pay per view. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right. Well, what are we obsessed with this week? What do y'all got going? Uh, I am obsessed with you know, it's you know going back to what I started with, uh, trying to figure out how to vacuum form uh, leather yeah. to get a really good em- embossing on it. <laughs> Um, have you tried? So, sorry, it's kind of taking us on a little no, bit of a tangent. It. But you, have you tried just? I, granted, maybe the vacuum press, you know, for the sake of experimentation, is good. But uh, have you tried doing anything with just like a, a like a form? Uh, maybe like a form that you clamp or a form that oh. you use like a press yeah. on. Have you done that before? Yeah, and then uh, the but I, I I'm trying to mold it around like a, like a plastic version of Han Solo's gun from Star okay. Wars. Okay. So it has like a lot of detail. So I could CNC. I mean, 
if I really wanted to do it, I could CNC two forms, like a positive and negative, and like yeah. clamp the leather in. But that makes it really unavailable to most people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm experimenting with like the $30 vacuum bag. I'm experimenting. What I'm going to try next is I'm actually going to try sand uh, over it instead of the vacuum, and then clamping down like a, a sandbag. Okay. Huh. Uh, and I might put the sand even in like a square frame, so it's like almost like the sand has no place to go out to the side. Almost so. like a casting in a way yeah. exactly but pressing that's crazy it kind of uh, reminds me of those like uh those like pin things that you used to play with like a sharper image where you put your right. hand oh in yeah it. Mm-hmm. so that's that's what i'm currently obsessed with is trying to figure out how you know without using a cnc or a 3d printed you know mold how do i sort of print a nice flat piece of leather with uh, a really cool embossing that's that you know has about three quarters of an inch of relief uh uh in the middle of a piece of leather without wrinkling up the leather Chris, what do you got? I've been a kind I guess it's kind of a tool in a way it's the most important tool for YouTubing and that's cameras. Um I already have a camera, a decent <laughs> camera. Um but it, part of it actually goes back to to Mike your experience with the whole corrupted SD card, man. That thing's had me freaked out ever since <laughs> ever since you had it. So it, that has affected you more than it's affected me. It has, man. I can't. <laughs> He's got I haven't been eating. You've got PTSD over my SD card yeah. error. <laughs> my family life's really suffering. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, uh so I I basically the camera that I have, it's probably five years old. I, I got it when we had a kid, and I was like, oh, I should be taking pictures of my son. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'll go get a good camera. And then, you know, YouTube started up, and I, I had some lenses and everything, so it was fine. But I've been wanting to get something that's a little bit more video-friendly, because I think that, you know, even just quality aside, I think just making it easier and quicker to film the videos, that would be worth the price right there. So that's kind of like the number one thing on my list. What are you then, looking at? The one that I'm kind of leaning towards right now is the Panasonic GH5, which comes out at the end of this month. It's a mirrorless. Yeah. Um, so it's a different lens system because I, I have all my money in Nikon lenses. But You can get a speed booster though, right? Exactly, yeah. So I was looking at speed boosters. And then and my dad actually, my dad's real into photography. He was like a wedding photographer and stuff when I was younger. And he has an Olympus that uses the Micro Four Thirds system, which is like an open source system. So it's all interchangeable. <clears throat> and excuse me, the uh, the GH5 actually has two SD cards that you can write to simultaneously. You know, it's got Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, so you can control it from your phone, all that kind of stuff. That I think will be really helpful and just kind of make the process easier. Plus, I think you can do like super slow motion stuff, like what you can do on the iPhone, but um, you know, with a lot better of an image, obviously. So that might be kind of fun stuff to play with. So that's what I've been spending whatever consumer free time i have kind of focusing on that stuff right on how about you mike um okay i don't know if this is actually the right term but it's entomology which is the brit bugs yeah uh-huh okay there, there we go yeah i ju- i literally just googled it to make sure i was right but yeah it's the branch of zoology concerning with the study of insects according to <laughs> according to wikipedia so we'll trust it but yeah uh, a friend of mine had an instagram post that i came across and it was some framed uh moths that just looked really really cool it was just it was framed really well there are these i guess they freeze dry them or something crazy like that but they get these you know like whether it's moths butterflies insect specimens and dry them to where they're like articulated really cool and everything um and then frame them uh so i kind of i've just been looking at them a lot this week 
and I think I'm going to do a project with him somehow. I got to figure out like an interesting way to do it so it's not just the same thing as what everyone else in the world's doing already. But uh, all those bug YouTube videos. Yeah, I don't know how big the bug <laughs> community is on YouTube, but I I hope I don't make them too angry. But uh, anyways, <laughs> but yeah, I've been I've just been looking at a bunch of stuff about framing insects because it it looks real cool. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Nice. So I'm going to do a project with it here pretty soon. Well, maybe we can all collaborate. You can uh, make like a leather insect and I'll, f- I'll photograph it. There we go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess, that's a, I guess that's a pretty good place to stop. I think we're running pretty, pretty long for this episode. So I'm going to go ahead and round it out saying, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast and are not already subscribed, go ahead and do that. We'd really appreciate it. That way you can keep updated every time we post a new episode, which will be on Thursdays. Um, if you, once again, enjoy the podcast and have a couple of minutes to spare, we'd really appreciate you going to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, and give us a rating. Uh, whether you've got some good things to say, some constructive criticism to give, how we can make the show better, or you know, just you know, maybe a segment you're interested in seeing or hearing, I guess, since you're not seeing anything, really, uh, let us know. Also, we've got a contact form on our website where you can throw us an audio message. Uh, if you've got a question you want us to answer or a show topic idea, let us know. Uh, and with that, I'll go ahead and just say we'll see you next week. <laughs> and more hypothetical animals versus yeah. power Yeah, that's stores. a good one. If you guys have every week, if you guys have hypothetical, because hypotheticals aren't always so easy to come up with. I haven't done it yet, but yeah. I'm I'm sure it's really taxing on Chris uh, throughout the week. Ben had to help me out. I know week. he had to pull up the slack. So yeah, if you guys have any <laughs> good hypotheticals, shoot them to us. Do it in an audio message and uh, submit that on our website so we can play you back. Um, yeah, because that's a segment we want to keep go- doing. I think it's a lot of fun. So anyways, thank you guys for listening, and we hope to see you next week. See you. Later. Bye, guys.